This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 52, continuing our preview of AESLD's upcoming The Liver Meeting 2022. Plus, from the vault, a conversation from our Liver Meeting 2021 coverage that takes a look at NITs and the role they might play going forward. This conversation starts with me questioning what the right long-term commercial model for these kinds of digital weight loss and patient self-management programs will be. I recall the early successes of Jenny Craig or Nutrition system, which came from selling food, or Weight Watchers, which came from branding other companies' white or black label food products. I asked whether companies might marry strong coaching to some of the new services offering high-quality pre-cooked foods to create an integrated offering. Jeff McIntyre agrees and refers to his own experience working with Tufts and other groups on medically tailored meals and the push he sees to get these meals paid for by Medicare and or private insurers. Louise Campbell notes that the kinds of programs Jeff and I describe exist at safari parks as part of full wellness programs for the animals in those parks. From a different perspective, she notes the importance of patient volition in program success, mentions that we do not include volitional assessments in most trial designs or apps, and notes that the app Towers and Health has recently launched does include a volitional element. I note that we will return to talk about the Towers and Health app sometime over the next few weeks. I then return to a comment I made last week about finding improved primary care screening tools that might serve a dual purpose by teaching frontline providers how the galaxy of metabolic diseases frequently has NAFLD at their core. And I then Describe two abstracts for posters that address this issue. Poster 2304, titled Triglyceride Glucose Index for Early Prediction of Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease, a meta-analysis of 121,975 patients, looked at the significance of the odds and hazard ratios of the TYG index, which is computed based on triglyceride and glucose levels, and also their ability over time to predict disease, particularly those the hazard ratio. All results were highly significant and clinically meaningful. The other poster I described, 2328, is titled Performance of artificial intelligence-enabled electrocardiogram and the prediction of fatty liver disease. This paper from Mayo Clinic showed that an AI analysis of ECG results based on a convolutional neural network produced an area under curve far superior to FIB4 and superior or equal to BMI and all other metabolic parameters. My general point, using these metrics can improve on FIB4 and, at the same time, focus treaters on the links between NAFLD and the other metabolic diseases. As the conversation winds down, Mazanur Adin and Jörg Schottenberg both agree with the basic point. Our last three episodes of the podcast provide a pretty robust preview of what we are about to hear at the liver meeting starting Friday. Actually, by the time these post, we will be well into the meeting already. So listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Let me go back with one more thought, kind of quasi on the commercial side. Yes, I agree with everything you said. All those folks did get hurt in the aftermath of COVID, and their projection curves all changed, each and every one of them. I know that's right. What's interesting is in the history of this business, the people who made money in the diet business first made money by selling food, and coaching became ancillary. And by the way, not very good. Over time, they've tried to improve their coaching, but only so much because they're still stuck making their money selling food. One of the trends we're starting to see now, though, is people selling high-level convenience foods to folks who don't have the time to cook a higher quality of food. And as I watch these commercials for all these things roll by, I keep thinking that at the intersection of high quality diet constructed foods and a program might be where we get to the best consumer aided answer. Because that way you can make the money on the food, you can provide high level coaching, but the coaching doesn't have to be the profit source. It can simply be self-sustaining and people then eat better at the same time. So if you put a gun in my head and said, where's the consumer side answer? I think that's what I would guess today. Jeff McIntyre. I would agree with that, Roger. And I'll say it 
here, too, that I'm willing to yield my time as talking about an abstract since now I think I've given more time to Jorn's presentation than I have to mine, which was going to be mine anyway, and say that you are correct in that. Absolutely. I think that what we are beginning to see is a rise with some of the groups that I work with, like at the Tufts Food Nutrition Innovation Group, is we have connected with people that are supplying medically tailored meals. And this goes back a little bit to your question of who's going to pay for this. And so they're really pushing for coverage for this. Can it be covered by Medicare? Can it be covered by the insurance groups? And there's a lot of possibility in that. We see already in the veterinary space that there's a huge trend towards genetic testing with animals by some of the same companies that also supply nutrition. And so it's not just being able to predict what's going on downstream with a potential ailment or disease that may occur, but actually being able to then dial in the nutrition that is specialized for that animal in order to be able then to supply it. And so as we look at the combination of, you know, our awareness of kind of medical information as it may apply to nutrition, there is a day down the road where we can see the combination of these apps with medically tailored meals to be able to better support patients in their goal for whatever they're trying to achieve. Okay. Any other comments on this one? I didn't do any of my own last week, so I do want to do one. And we haven't heard from Louise yet, except a couple of comments. So go ahead. Louise Campbell. Well, I'm just going to jump in on that just slightly. If you go to a safari park, for example, bringing up your animals, they have a tailored diet with exercise programs. They are way, way more ahead. What we also have to take this back to, most people using these apps currently have NAFLD. They have NASH. They have cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes. The problem is they actually don't know they've got NAFLD and NASH. So they are trying, they are doing it. And the one thing about these studies, and most of the studies that we look at, not one volition assessment is made on these patients. Now, there are tools to assess somebody's volition. The higher your volition going in, the more likely you are to achieve the outcome. Yet we don't look at it in clinical trials. Is that the placebo group? Is that anything? So we are missing metrics that could be beneficial to targeting the right people with different approaches, exactly pertaining to this type of app. But there are lots of apps out there. We just happen to add our app to those apps. So we've got more of a measurement to those patients for volition. And I think that's key. But no, I'm going to let Roger go in and then I'm going to come back to the point because my pick is on a similar line. Okay, thanks. So first of all, to those who don't, we will have a extra episode coming up on Louise's app some point between here and the end of the year. We just haven't, Louise hasn't been in the same country long enough for us to settle down and figure out what to do this between the Portuguese vacation and the upcoming trip to Australia. But um, we will get to that because I think there's some really interesting things about her app that are worth spending some time on. Last week, I mentioned that one of my real interests in this meeting was the work that was being done around primary care screening. And I shared three or four abstracts on that subject. I'm going to go back to one of those abstracts today in more detail and a second one. And here, my spin is how to think in the context of metabolic disease more broadly about NAFLD and primary care. And the question goes, are there tools that we can use to educate and drive primary care screening, as Mazen points out, beyond or in addition to FIB4, that will help primary care doctors understand where the liver fits in all this? These are both posters. Neither one of these made them to presentation, but I think they're fascinating. The first one is poster 2304. The title is Triglyceride Glucose Index for Early Prediction of Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease a meta-analysis of 121,975 individuals. That sounds pretty powerful. Basically, the study was spearheaded by folks from the University of Toledo. And what they did was they did a comprehensive lit search in PubMed, Embase, and the Web of Science databases from inception to March 25, 2022. And what they were looking for were observational studies that had any association of the link between the TYG index and fatty liver disease. For 
those who aren't aware, the TYG index is a triglyceride glucose index, which is gaining some popularity right now, precisely because it's an easy thing to gather. We tend to have those the numbers that we need to do that. They found 17 observational studies, 121,975 participants, as previously noted. They found that the TYG index, if you used it as a categorical variable, it was highly significant both for the odds and hazard ratios. Odds ratio, the pooled number was six, and on the hazard ratio, 1.7. And if you analyze it as a continuous variable over time, you have an odds ratio of 2.25, which suggests that if you track it over time, you can actually figure out who's doing better. So this is one place where we take two measures that are standardly collected, neither of which is currently associated in the minds of primary care physicians with fatty liver disease, and get to demonstrate that by tracking those two together, you can actually get a read on NAFLD, metabolic link. The second, and this is the one I referred to last week, is paper 2328 titled Performance of Artificial Intelligence-Enabled Electrocardiography in the Prediction of Non-Alcoholic Fatty Liver Disease. Alina Allen, who was the last author on this paper, actually kind of hinted at some of this last time she was on podcast several months ago. But the idea is that what they did was they did a retrospective study of all adults diagnosed with NAFLD in Olmstead County, Minnesota, Mayo Clinic. Between 1996 and 2019, they did age and sex match control groups for the same population. And both groups had ECGs performed for clinical reasons within six years before and one year after study entry. They used an AI-based ECG model with a convolutional neural network. They trained it with 70% of that population, validated it with 10, and then tested it with 20 in the cohorts, respectively. They found almost 29,000 individuals about 3,500 with NAFLD, about 25,000 and a half controls. And the AI ECG model performed, as they describe it, reasonably well in distinguishing NAFLD cases from controls. AUC was 0.70. And in this population, that was superior or similar to BMI, which was 0.71. Composite clinical morbidity, such as diabetes, hypertension, or lipids, which was 0.68. Diabetes alone, 0.66. Metabolic panel, 0.56 to 0.67. FIB4, 0.56. So this is a simple proof of concept study that says, that AI-based ECG can detect NAFLD with a performance comparable to BMI alone, superior to other parameters, and we should take a look at that further. Now, that might not stand alone as well as the first one does, but my general point, and Maz, and I think this goes back to what you're saying about FIB4 a while ago, is that we can look at bringing some of these measures into the primary care evaluative process, and that not only might strengthen the area under curve and improve prediction, but it would also, in the act of doing, show primary care why NAFLD is not merely an abstraction about liver disease that is going to matter for 20 years. And I think that's a thing worth doing and a kind of an innovative piece to have as part of the process of doing it. Mazen Nuruddin. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Roger. Sometimes certain people, they have a hard time with machine learning because it usually includes a lot of variables. And they say, well, it's not like the FIP4, FIP4 is simpler, but this is the idea. Eventually, they're not going to sit down and click or enter 17 variables, rather that the machine should spit these things out for them. And they probably need it to achieve as such accuracy as imaging or biopsy. Again, we're comparing to biopsy, which is not great comparison, but those are probably needed. So in my mind, the best probably machine learning models will just include the cheapest demographics and blood tests. Nothing specialized, no machines, no imaging. If we really want to replace FIP4 with something cheap, it's machine learning is more complicated, but big health system, we're moving to that. They can start implementing that and spit it out and it will be more organized a systemic way to look for things. That's how I see it in my mind. Jörn Schattenberg. That's a good point, and it follows up, Mazen, with an abstract you presented on the accuracy of the NITs, you know, and that, I think that's where I wanted to go to. We'll need a dynamic way to identify patients and refer them according to what we have in the respective system, what works, and then 
dynamic AI algorithm might be a, a very good way forward to achieve that goal. And now back to Roger. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back Monday and Tuesday afternoons Eastern U.S. time with daily review episodes, Monday for the weekend and Tuesday for Monday at the Liver Meeting. And we will have a summary of key points from those two episodes on Wednesday evening. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We look forward to seeing you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.